1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Conventions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Wednesday, September 15th. In today's show, we're going to talk about how the Dodgers' eight-season-long National League West winning streak is probably about to come to an end. We're going to look into how the Cardinals are helping Adam Wainwright and definitely winning the wild card because they're the Cardinals. Check into whether Freddie Freeman would actually leave the Atlanta Braves, dive into 2022's way-too-early IT team, it's the Tigers, and get into a couple of guys you should know before we end with our rants and Raves, Matt, I hate to say it, there's still two plus weeks left in the season. The Dodgers are red hot. They are 28-8 since August 7th. That's the best record in baseball. And I bring that up because I saw this fact yesterday and it absolutely blew my mind. They're 28-8 over the last 36 games. Do you know what winning 28 out of 36 earned them in the National League West chase? One and a half games. <laughs> they were four games out. They went 28-8. and eight. They're now two and a half games out. The Giants are an obscene team. They are not a fluke. They have had a winning percentage of six hundred every single month of the season. August was their best month. September is even better. If anyone is still not buying into them, I recommend you um, look into it a little closer. The Giants are for real. The Dodgers are not going to win the West for the first time since twenty twelve.
0: You're you're calling it. You're Uh, saying it's it's done. It's done. I
1: mean, for months I've been like, well, the Giants are in first, the Giants are in first. Like I participate in our power rankings and I've always put the Dodgers first because I think they're a better team. I don't really still trust the Giants rotation that much. Uh, But there's a certain point where it's like, okay, well, we're 95% of the way through the season. Uh, They're either going to win or they're not. And at this point, it's like, are the Giants going to fall apart? No. Can the Dodgers play any better, better than they are right now? <laughs> not really. So here we are. The last Dodger team to not win the West. This is how long ago this has been. You know what the infield was for that Dodger team in 2012? James Loney played first base. Mark Ellis and D Gordon, D Strange Gordon now, were the middle infielders. Matt Kemp was still playing center field. Like Chris Capuano was the number three starter on that team. That's That's how long ago it's been. And I guess this is not the season I expected it to end considering that going into the year, everyone was like, well, the Dodgers are going to win 117 games. It it says a lot about the Giants, I think, that the Dodgers will win like 102 or whatever, and it's going to be seen as a massive disappointment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's also crazy because we're going to see this manifest itself in the wildcard game this year, where I think it's going to be by far the biggest gap we've ever seen between... Two wild card participants, and this is, I feel like, the first year where this model is going to be kind of put to the test of like the one, like the legitimacy of the one game uh, playoff, essentially. Because I think the biggest gap, I think I saw um, AJ Casavell write this recently. Since the one game wild card came in in 2012, the biggest gap between the two teams has been, I think, six games. And this year, it's going to be like 18 games, right? We're going to get like the the Cardinals or the Reds or the Padres get in. And they're going to be 18 games or something in that realm behind. Right? I mean, right now the Padres are 19 or yeah, 17. There's 17 behind the um, behind the Dodgers, and so it's really. I mean, one game in baseball, anything can happen, and so you really, like, more than ever, the division is like so important, especially in the NL West, where you see these two teams are are going to both probably win uh, 100 games. My question for you, since you're giving up on the Dodgers. <laughs> What point, if you're the Dodgers, do you focus on lining up? I guess Scherzer for the wild card game. I mean, that's what we talked about this last week. That's who I would want to line up. Um, I guess you have the luxury of knowing you also have Bueller. So, at what point do you do you make that your make that a priority? Not until the last weekend of the season. I mean, it's
1: I I might say I don't think they're going to come back and win. It doesn't mean they should change their approach at all. You know, like you can get down to that last weekend of the season, and if you are you know, three games out with three to play, then maybe you change your focus, you know, but there's there's so much value in winning the division and not having to go to that one game wildcard. We're going to get to the Cardinals in a little bit. Does anybody on this planet who has ever seen a Cardinals game think they can't come into Dodger Stadium and screw everything up in one game? Of course they can. That is like the entire reason the St. Louis Cardinals exist is to do things like that. But I was thinking about the wild card game because I saw some complaints about it yesterday. And I'm of two minds on this. Like I've never liked a one game series for anything in baseball. You know, I've three games should be a minimum. Um, I've liked the, uh, the, the KBO, the Korean baseball organization idea that's been floating around where, you know, the higher seed only, doesn't have to win as many games as the lower seed does. I think that's cool, but I don't, I don't mind the fact that the Dodgers will be the second best team in baseball. And, End up having to play a wild card game. Like they're the second best team in their own division. Like I think people don't like that, and I also think people don't like the fact for the Giants, uh, if they have the best record in baseball, their reward is to then play the Dodgers if the Dodgers win the wild card. It's not <laughs> ideal. I'd, none of this bothers me that much, you know. Like sometimes you have weird outcomes of seasons. I I don't love the one game playoff either, but as far as the rest of it goes, I I can't get worked up over it.
0: I mean, it, it's if the, the idea. I mean, the idea of the one the one game wild card was to prioritize winning the division. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's really working this year, right? Like It's a big difference between winning the division and playing in that one, when in that, uh, that single game playoff question for you about the giants. Cause we also discussed this um, offline and it's uh, something that I don't think is really permeated the larger baseball discussion. If the giants end up in the wild card or if, if they win the division, who's their number one starter? Who's, who are they lining up to start? game one or a wild card game. You know, in the first half of the season, it was, okay, it's obviously going to be Kevin Gausman, but that's less. I mean, I still think it might be him, but like, should it be him? Well, there's only two choices, right? It's him or Logan
1: Webb, and they're very different kinds of pitchers. So it may depend a little bit on what the opposing lineup is, where they're playing. It's probably not a wrong answer here. I tend to go towards Gaussman because I like guys who miss bats in one game more than guys who I don't want to say pitch to contact. because it's not really what it does, but he's not as you know overtly dominant at times as Gaussman is. So I would say Gaussman, but there's probably not a wrong answer. And you know, if you're the Dodgers, what's funny is I saw a lot of Cardinals fans saying, oh yeah, we're going to go play the Dodgers and we're going to beat up on Kershaw. And I'm like, I'm not interested in Kershaw playoff takes, but I can tell you this, there is no way in the world that Kershaw is starting that game. <laughs> like it's going to be Scherzer unless it's Bueller. And then it's probably maybe even Urias if it's neither one of those two. It, there is no chance that Clayton Kershaw is starting that wild card game. And I don't mean that to diminish him. He's an all-time great. He's not Max Scherzer right now. He's not Walker Bueller right now. He hasn't even been healthy until the other day. So there, that is not going to happen. But I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that when we get to the National League wild card game, it's going to be Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals in Dodger Stadium against Max Scherzer, which... I'm not mad about. That's going to be a pretty fun matchup. We will take a quick break and we'll be back with our free batter minimum.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
1: we are back on the mlb.com ballpark Visions podcast as of last night the cardinals have the second wild card spot in the national league they're half a game up on the reds they're one game up on the Padres. Nobody in the National League really seems to want to win this spot. The Reds and the Padres are doing pretty much everything they can to make sure that they don't win it. And at this point I'm not that convinced they're going to come back and I'm trying to think back, let's see, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago and somebody I know on a certain podcast had some thoughts about who was going to come up and win that wild card. do you remember? let's let's listen.
0: There was a saying on baseball Twitter a few years ago that I haven't really seen much anymore, but it's still no. like a thing, you know, Cardinals devil magic, that the Cardinals kind of always figure out a way to, to to win, to make the playoffs, to win the series, whatever, that they constantly are kind of overachieving. And I kind of just kind of get those vibes from this team um, as an outsider, this is like from an outsider perspective, just the way a lot of times outsiders just sort of like, I sort of say like, you know what, the Yankees are just going to, they'll figure it out and they'll get there and they do. That's sort of how I feel about the the Cardinals. All right. Take your victory lap. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, to be fair, it's not done yet. You know, they still have a couple of weeks of, 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 of games to, to play, but I felt, I mean, I felt that way then and I feel this way now it's, I, I've gotten back and forth on this over the years as a baseball fan, as, and as an analyst, but like, as I get older, I sort of like do, like, I think there's, to me there's this there is something to be said for this like Cardinal's Devil Magic especially when you have Molina and Reina on the team. I think there's something to be said of players being on that team and it's intangible, but there are certain teams and certain players where like if you're around them you're like, "You know what? We believe like we we are confident we're going to win." That like gives like it's not the only reason they're going to win. Like this is a a small factor in my mind. I'm not saying this is the factor that they're going to win, but when you line up like two separate teams and it's getting down to the wire. And there's like, there is a belief and a confidence of the players you have on the field with you or in the clubhouse, like Johnny Molina, that, that confidence that comes with being like, Hey, you know, I've been here before. We're going to do this. I think it matters. And you look on the flip side, the team that I was, so that was driving the bandwagon for early in the year, the Reds who keep losing games to the pirates and the Cubs, they had the easiest schedule. They had this total cakewalk. The wild card should have been theirs. And they keep losing games to terrible teams and it's hard not to look at that year after year and not think that like there is some value to that. I think it's self fulfilling in a sort of sense. Like it's yes. not it's not a real thing,
1: but since we've been talking about this for years and years and years, people now act like it is. And you know, I I think there is something to that. And the Cardinals, I mean, they're a flawed team in a lot of ways, right? Like uh, their offense has not been super impressive until lately. Like the outfielders have been pretty good.
0: Tyler O'Neill looks fantastic, by the way, which we probably haven't talked enough about. I'd like to think. I had, I had him as one of my guys we should be talking about more like about a month ago. So, you know, I'll take more, another Cardinals victory okay. lap
1: there. Well, you know what? Bader was definitely one of mine like three years ago. I'm pretty sure there's <laughs> articles on our site for me about Harrison Bader in like 2018. I'd like to think that Nolan Arenado hitting 31 homers with a 500 slugging in St. Louis will kill the course field narrative forever. It won't. Trevor story is <laughs> going to be out there this year. I feel like we're going to be talking about that again. But the one thing that stands out to me the most about the Cardinals. Is their defense. It's really good. And it's not like it wasn't good before because as, as valuable as adding Arenado is, because he's obviously an elite third baseman, I felt like the effect of adding him was a little bit muted because they cut free Colton Wong, who is maybe the best defensive second baseman in baseball. But those three outfielders are like, Bader is fantastic. He's the best defensive center fielder nobody talks about. Like I was asked recently, like, hey, who's your top five defensive center fielders? You know, when everybody's healthy and easily one and two in whichever order you like for me. Buckstein and Kiermeier, like no question about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought Harris Bader might be number three on that list. Like he's really, really good. O'Neill is very good. Carlson is is not that level, um, but he's pretty good. And then you look at the uh, you look at the numbers, and they're really funny, especially when you go back to Adam Wainwright's amazing season. So if you look at the Statcast numbers. Outs above average. The Cardinals are plus 40. 40 outs above average. That is the best in baseball. The last place Red Sox are minus 39. So there's your range. And I know, you know, not everybody totally buys into defensive metrics all the time, but I think anyone that says Cardinals good, Red Sox bad, passes the smell test pretty well. And what's interesting about outs above average is you can flip it around and look at it from the pitcher's point of view, not necessarily what he did with the glove, but what happened with the fielders behind him, like who was helping him or hurting him. You know, I think we went through this a couple years ago when there was like this huge Phillies discrepancy where where um I forget what exactly what it was, but it was like Nola was getting killed and Pavetta was getting helped or vice versa. Anyway, Adam Wainwright behind him this year has had 22 outs above average. The next best guy, you say Kikuchi 11. And in fact, I went back and I looked each year back to 2016, 22 outs above average behind Wainwright this year is the most that any pitcher has been helped by any defense since we have these numbers. Uh, third place on that list, by the way, Dakota Hudson, two years ago with the Cardinals, plus eighteen. So I think that says two things. One is obvious. The Cardinals defense is very, very good. Best in baseball. Not really much of a question about it. The second thing is I think Wainwright sort of creates some of those numbers because he's not piling up strikeouts and he induces a lot of like soft contact and ground balls. You know, it's harder for, let's say, Josh Hader to rack up defensive value behind him because everything is like you know, a strikeout or a home run or a pop-up. Wainwright helps these numbers. There's no doubt. Uh, but when you look at his fantastic season, that he's been great. I don't know that it looks like this for most other, if he's on most other
0: teams. I think that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, that's the thing about part of what's um, been so notable about Wainwright's season is that he's, he's been really efficient. Like his pitch counts have been low. I think he threw a Maddox a couple weeks ago. Like he's, and, and I think that's one of those things that maybe goes Goes together where he 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 has confidence in his defense, so he doesn't feel like he has to nibble at all. Not that he's ever been someone who like you know you know had serious command issues, but I think that those things kind of kind of dovetail nicely. Where you know he's a veteran pitcher, is like I've got this amazing defense behind me. I don't have to worry about balls in play because they're going to catch anything like within reason. So um, it's it's been one of the cooler stories of the season. The way you know Wainwright, the the crafty righty, um, having one of at least by in terms of results ERA runs prevented one of the best seasons of his career and this is a guy who's you know finished you know in the top 3 in Cy Young I don't think he ever won it but he's finished top 3 twice I believe you know I was thinking about the idea of um, like what is the
1: cardinals devil magic and some of it is just getting good seasons out of guys who like should not be having good seasons and I was thinking about this when it came to Uh, Luis Garcia. No, not that one. No, not that one. No, no, the other one. There's so many Luis Garcias. There's the the infielder for Washington. There's the very good rookie for Houston. This Luis Garcia is a veteran right handed pitcher who pitched for Philly and the Angels and Texas. And last year, you know, eight innings for Texas, nine runs allowed. It's kind of a nondescript guy. He's got a 213 ERA for the Cardinals this year. TJ McFarland, who kicked around for years with like Baltimore and Arizona, he has a 195. ERA. I don't necessarily think either of those guys are that good, but I do think this goes back to the uh, you know, the, def- the uh, Yadi, I guess, but also the defense. And um there's been increasing discussion. It feels like people are just noticing this even though the numbers have kind of said this for years that Busch Stadium is a horrendous hitters park. Like it's an absolutely brutal hitters park. We didn't talk about that enough, I don't think when I remember everybody was trying to investigate, hey, what happened to Marcelo Zuna? You know, he was great in Miami and then he was great in Arizona before he got hurt and suspended and everything. And he wasn't that good in St. Louis. Was you know was he injured? And, you know, that ballpark is, they're probably going to make changes to it because it's so hard to hit in. And I guess that kind of goes a little bit more towards like this is the perfect spot for someone like Adam Wainwright. I'm convinced they're getting to the wildcard game. They're going to start Wainwright against Scherzer and it's going to be, super fun just like having those two names there like i i I'm, I'm out on the reds i'm out on the padres i'm out on literally everybody in the national league east like somebody will win the division obviously cardinals at dodgers will you watch that game
0: for sure and it'll be and if they the cardinals do manage to win that game with Wainwright pitching and then they have to go to the 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 division series against presumably the the Braves in that scenario it'd be comical then they'd like who would they said who would they set, are they no, set out wait.
1: to start Wait, wait, wait! Wouldn't they get the Giants?
0: Oh, they would get the Giants. Yeah, and they, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Then they would go face the Giants in that scenario. Who are they starting in in Game One of the DS? Is it like Jake Woodford? <laughs> I don't think it's John Lester. <laughs> uh, wait, who's
1: their number two starter? Right, I guess maybe Flaherty could throw a couple innings. Uh, Kwon yeah, Young I mean, Kim, perhaps. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Flaherty, Flaherty, Flaherty has to come back first, right? So. That's actually a fascinating question. How do you fill out a a rotation if you're the Cardinals? Um, I think it may be uh, you can't start J-Hap in the National to start. Can you? Like, I mean, uh, if, they had, if, they had, if they had if they had Miles, it with... Miles Michaelis is back. There you go. Give me there you go. All right. Uh, let's go to our second topic. Will or would Freddie Freeman actually leave the Atlanta Braves? Matt was was. Commenting about this to me earlier today, I found it really interesting. Freddie Freeman has been a superstar for a very long time. All of that time has come with the Braves. And for all the talk about like the great shortstop class of free agents we're going to have this winter, not enough people have really talked about the fact that his contract is up. He signed an eight-year, one hundred and thirty-five million dollar contract spanning twenty fourteen to twenty twenty one. And you just sort of assume he's the kind of guy who's he's going to be. You know, the Jeter. Cal Ripken type he's going to stay with the same team and that might still happen but he's the defending MVP he's having a another very good season that's almost identical like if you look at the numbers compared to his career line it is like literally his career average season which is very good and there's just been nothing and in two weeks or you know six weeks when the postseason is over he's going to be a free agent unless something happens and it's it's hard to see him leaving to go anywhere and yet the longer this goes on at a certain point this
0: has to get resolved. Do you think he's gonna leave? I don't, but for so long as you kind of alluded to, people assumed that of course Freddie Freeman's gonna say. I mean, they gave him that contract extension basically when they started their rebuild. And he basically sort of signed on to basically, I mean, he was part of some really bad Braves teams, you know, in the 2015, 16, 17, you know, range. That that that's that time. And it was like, hey, I'm signing on, I'm signing the extension, I'm gonna stick around, I'm gonna be part of the rebuild. And he has been. He won an MVP, brought them within a the game of the World Series, and so everyone kind of assumed he'd resign. John Heyman reported recently that there's still a gap, you know, in their discussions that's been going on. And obviously, once you hit free agency, all all bets are off, right? Like, who who knows? And he's still a superstar. Dan Zemborski on FanGraphs did a piece about this, um, and one thing I thought that was interesting is he kind of he pointed out that top level first baseman. Seldom hit the free agent market. He said you have to go back to 2012 when Pujols Albert Pujols and Prince Fielder were free agent free agents to find a first baseman projected as top five in wins above replacement the following season to hit the market. Um, and Freeman would be number is number two. He's already projected as the number two first baseman for 2022 behind Vlad Vlad Jr. Obviously, so like I'm not sure why that is. I guess it's because as a class teams kind of understand that first basemen are, you know, they often maybe put guys who are, uh, they try and hide hide a bad defender there or maybe a flawed hitter who's like, you know, the examples he gives are kind of guys like the the Mark Trumbos and Chris Carters, guys who had 40 home runs but didn't really bring anything else to the table and, you know, basically didn't really get anything significant in in free agency. So, wh- wh- I mean, why do you think so few, so few first basemen hit the free agent market?
1: Well, I think some of them are these – you know, all time superstars of the franchise in this way. But I also think teams have kind of learned a little bit about, you know, guys who are already on that side of uh, <laughs> of the defensive spectrum. Like, I don't know. Do you look back at any of these free agent contracts for first baseman and say, oh man, I wish we'd been the team to sign Chris Davis. <laughs> or I wish we'd been the team to sign Albert Pujols. You know, like first baseman, it just it hasn't worked out that well. And when you look at the upcoming free agent class, obviously he's the best at first base, no doubt. But there's other names too, right? Brandon Belt, uh, C.J. Crohn's having a pretty good year. Anthony Rizzo, who is you know more or less the same age as, as Freddie Freeman. And obviously he's going to get paid more than any of those guys, perhaps more than all of them combined because he's he's better. But when you think about where his contract is going to start, so he just turned 32. I mean, he's still in his age 31 season, but you're basically signing up for age 30, Three to thirty-six. That's that's the whole thing here. No one's giving him an eight-year contract, like not even the Braves. Not when he's already thirty-two years old. Like those deals don't exist anymore. So is it more like a five-year deal at thirty million dollars a year? Because I I can see that, but you're just not going to break the bank in the sense of like we're signing you up to forty-two. Like those contracts will never happen again um, for a lot of reasons. Like who wants
0: to have the Miguel Cabrera contract? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like those things just don't work anymore. And well, that's I mean that's so what's interesting about it for like is the Braves have generally not been a team that has, you know, gone for the high level free agents. And so generally speaking, they're not a team that's, you know, that's, that's, that's agreeing to deals, you know, approaching 150 more or 150 million or more, you know, in, Zim, in Zimborski's uh, projections, he basically said, based on his war projections, he would think like a, a six year, $138 million deal was, would be like a reasonable deal. I mean, that, that actually feels a bit light to me for, you know, p- partially because of the hitter that Freeman still is. And, you know, like it or not, players still, especially players of that caliber, still get some kind of like bonus for their stature kind of baked into it. So it feels, but I mean, I'm not exactly sure where where he's going to end up, but I think that that's generally not been the kind of contract the Braves have have gotten involved with. But at the end of the day, I think he will end up staying for kind of all the reasons we've, we've discussed. But once he hits the market, it'll be... It will be interesting. Paul Goldschmidt got five years
1: and let's see, $130 million. And he signed that contract, I guess it was right after he got traded. So he was entering his age 31 season. So only like a couple months younger. Five years and 130 million. I think Freeman's a better player than Goldschmidt. And he's got more history with the team because Goldschmidt had just been traded. So what did you say Zimborski's uh, projection was? Five and what? Six for 138. So I think that's a year too long and, and, Not enough dollars. I'm give me like five and one fifty. I think that makes sense, right? Because that's more than Goldschmidt got, and it's also not tying anybody through age, you know, 42 or whatever. Mostly just just get it done. It's surprising to me that it's not done. I guess, you know, the elephant in the room is there's a ton of labor uncertainty. Like we don't know what the near-term baseball future looks like. So perhaps there's a part of it in that. But I I don't want to see Freddie Freeman playing on a different team next year. (laughs) I wanted to see on the Braves. All right, let's go to our third topic. It's um it's too early to you know, make grand sweeping projections for 2022. And yet I'm going to do it anyway. I am more excited about 2022 Detroit Tigers baseball than I have been about any Tiger season like ever. Because I think after years in the wilderness, like you, you want to see these teams that are rebuilding or blowing it up or just haven't been successful or whatever, you want to start seeing signs that things are going to change. And you look at some of the other, you know, below average teams, I don't see those signs in Arizona. It's hard to see much of uh, of optimism in, in Baltimore, you know, Pittsburgh too. Detroit, it's finally starting to get interesting. If you look at the last four months, and I don't mean four, you know calendar months, I mean literally the four months since today, since May 15th, the Tigers are 56 and 51. Like they're an over 500 team, not by a lot, obviously, but they're playing like decent, sustained baseball. And if you look up and down the lineup, here's, here's the thing that's surprising to me, Matt. If you'd asked me like a year ago, If I would have been here now saying uh, the Tigers are interesting, I think they're finally starting to turn the corner. Why? What is the reason for that? I would have said, oh, cool. The young pitching staff, it's popping, right? Like Mize is going to be great and Manning and Scooble and these guys are really going to come up, you know, and and Turnbull and they're going to be the backbone. And that hasn't necessarily happened yet. I still have a lot of questions about those guys. The thing that's like standing out to me is the offense looks interesting. Like, have you noticed that Heimer Condelario has been really good the last two years, 51 doubles and a 127 OPS plus, like they unearthed Akil Badu. Um, I just kind of wrote about Victor Reyes, who is like suddenly popping up his barrel rate in the second half, like his power that he's never had before. Uh, it's appearing. He looks really good. And when you think about these rebuilds, so much of it comes down to uh, timing, right? It's like, when when is it the right time to say, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go out and sign that big free agent. It's not when your top prospects are in rookie ball. Their two top two prospects, uh Riley Green, who's an outfielder, and Spencer Torkelson, who's a, a first baseman. They're already in triple A. You could see them next year. You know, this isn't like five years from now. If there's not already like a direct line between AJ Hinch and Carlos Correa this offseason, there better be that is the most obvious fit of any free agent match this offseason. They need a big name, they need a shortstop, they need someone who could hit, and he is so perfect there. So Tell me why I'm totally wrong about the Tigers.
0: You're not. Uh, I mean that the you mentioned Green and Torkelson. I mean Torkelson was the number one overall pick in the draft. I guess was it was it it was twenty. It was in twenty twenty. Was yeah, the the one that happened uh, when when there was no season uh, going on at the moment. He's been raking. He's been at like three levels this year. Been raking the entire time. And then there's also Riley Green, who was the number five pick in the draft the year before. And there's some players that I just kind of. And to be clear, my hunches aren't always correct, but like I just have a hunch that like Riley Green is going to be like a dude. Um, I think it goes back to spring training this year when he had a batted ball that was tracked at like 117 miles an hour, which was like harder hit than any Tigers player has had in since we started tracking Statcast. So when something like that, that happens, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then of course he's also raked across. Uh, the, the minors this year. He's hitting 297, 381, 531. He has 14 stolen bases and 15 tries. I mean, based on MLB pipelines, prospect rankings, is number four overall in all of baseball. Green is number seven. Like that's just really exciting in its own right. You've, you have to assume some of the pitchers will come to at least be contributors. They, they, they've been a little bit of disappointment, even the ones who have like superficially good, decent ERAs. They're, their underlying metrics have not been, you know, especially impressive, but there's enough track record of being, you know, good prospects and having reasonable stuff that you have to believe that like, okay, I think they'll, they'll at least be able to be, be contributors. The Tigers in the past have been willing to go and sign big free agents. So Correa, as you mentioned, he's young enough too. I think that's the that's the thing about Correa and maybe that's, is that why you think he's kind of the best fit is not just, he's a position of need, but he's also young enough to kind of be part of this next wave.
1: I think that's part of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Trevor Story would fit there. Corey Seager would fit there. I just, a lot of it's the hinge connection. You know, part of it is just, I think he's the best available shortstop. Um, but it, you know, it's funny. You said the Tigers have a history of signing some of these big contracts. And I think that's true, but it feels like a long time ago. Like wasn't it true last winter when they signed Robbie Grossman to a, a two-year deal. It was their first multi-year free agent in like five years or something like that.
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, they, they have been rebuilding, you know, kind of for a while now, but I guess, I guess that's right. It has been, it has been a while since they've been that, since they've been that, that team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, you get to a point where it's like now or never, you know, like this, if this rebuild is going to work, you were going to figure that out in the next year or two. And I know people are always like, well, you know, are the, is this team likely to be better than the White Sox next year? And I would say, no, there's very little I could see them doing to make that happen. But I think we've explored this in the past. You don't need to wait until like the year to go get that big free agent. You know, if you see, if you see good signs coming in the near future, you can go get that guy a year or two in advance. You know, not that Hosmer's worked out, but that was the argument there. That famous one is Jason Worth when the Nationals were terrible. Like there's no need to wait um, to, you know, go out and improve because you're probably going to need to do more. So if you can go out and get Correa or really any of the shortstops this winter, figure out a way to, you know, get a good, solid veteran starter. And then maybe most importantly, um, help some of these young starters improve. Like I'm I'm not worried about Scoobyl. I like him a lot. I think he's he's made some interesting pitch mix changes. I think he's gonna be good. I'm a little worried that Mize isn't missing bats. Like that's a little concerning. You know really worries me a lot? Matt Manning, who's been terrible both at the uh, the majors and in the minors this year. He did, he did an 807 ERA at minors the 614 ERA in the majors. And I get it. He's 23. A lot can happen. Nobody pitched in the minors last year, but I really did not expect to be sitting here today saying, I'm worried about the Tigers young pitching and I'm pretty interested in their offense. Cause how weird does that sound considering, you know, the way we'd approach them. I, mostly I'm just happy. We're talking about the Tigers right now because we're about to get into that point of the baseball year where it's like, we're talking about eight teams for the next two months. We will not talk about the Tigers or the twins or the Marlins or anybody until November. So I kind of want to like, get those teams in right the tigers and you know what else helps with the tigers too the white Sox are gonna be very good next year i don't trust the royals at all i know people are like oh they they think they're and no i don't see it at all the twins are in a big hole now cleveland i still don't think they can hit the, the, the tigers are clearly the
0: second best team in the division going into next year and they also i mean there's always that people kind of say like, oh you know my cabrera's contract still has like you know you know goes through 2023 he still has you know two more years after this that's true but the, in terms of like long term salary commitments they have very little they have like right now they they have 60 million committed for next year and next year and 2023 half of which is Cabrera but then less than 20 million for 2024 and 2025 so they very much could you could easily see them signing big free agents this offseason knowing that even if they even if they have Green and Turkleson on the opening day roster those guys wouldn't even start like you know, becoming arbitration eligible until I guess after the 2024 season so that they, you know, going into 2025. So they have like a lot of, you know, freedom financially to kind of go in a couple of different directions. And, uh, they're definitely a team, uh, team to watch this off season.
1: You know, you mentioned Cabrera, uh, Obviously, you'd prefer not to have that contract going forward, but I think it's a little overstated how much his decline has been. He's been a league average hitter this year and last year and the year before. This is not a Chris with a C Davis where it's like, oh my God, this guy is unplayable. He's killing us. Is a league average hitter what you want for that contract at your DH spot? Probably not, but that—that's there are worse things. You can get by with a league average Miguel Cabrera. We will take a quick break and we will come back and look at a couple of guys you should know a little bit more about. Each week, Matt and I like to highlight maybe under the radar guy that you should know a little bit more about. And I really like our choices this week because I picked a guy who was designated for assignment two months ago and Matt picked one of the young superstars in baseball. So we've really gone in divergent directions here. My guy, Frank the Tank Schwindel, the pride of Livingston, New Jersey, also known as the hometown of Jason Alexander, among many other politicians. Um, Frank Schwindel has a really interesting story. I know the Cubs have completely blown it up. And no one's paid attention to the Cubs in two months. And that's fair because they don't have Bios and Rizzo and and Bryant and all these guys. Um, Patrick Wisdom has been crushing bombs. And Frank Schwindel has been crushing bombs right now. He's hitting 361, 409 with a a 667 slugging percentage. An OPS of 1,075. 11 homers, most interesting to me. While Patrick Wisdom has a 40% strikeout rate. Frank Schwindel has a 16% strikeout rate. So that's really interesting. He's slugging over 600, not striking out that much. Again, he was DFA'd by Oakland two months ago tomorrow. He's got a kind of interesting backstory here. And I should preface this by saying, I'm well aware how these kind of older breakout sluggy first baseman stories end. No Cubs fan wants to hear Brian LaHare. It's probably Brian LaHare but that's okay. Let's give him his moment. He was an 18th round pick of the Royals in 2013, made his way up through the farm system. He was actually Kansas City's opening day first baseman in 2019. I have no memory of this whatsoever, but he was. They gave him four starts before they designated him for assignment so they could play Lucas Tuda and Ryan O'Hearn. He spent most of that year uh, in AAA with the Tigers, wasn't anywhere last year, obviously. This year, he came to camp as a non-roster invite with Oakland. He got called up. He was the first Oakland player since Terry Steinbeck in 1986 to hit a home run in his first plate appearance with the team. They only gave him 20 plate appearances, and then they designated him for assignment. The Cubs claimed him, called him up on August 3rd after all the trades because they had to staff a team, and he's been killing the ball ever since. So I thought this was really interesting. Again, I get it. He's probably Chris Shelton, He's probably a flash in the pan. But I wanted to put some context in his great start. So that's what I did. I went and I'm back to the start of the integrated baseball era in 1947, and I found every player... Who was at least 28 years old, and what were their best starts with a new team? And so I tried to match it as closely to Schwindel as I could. So I looked up first 38 games with a minimum of 150 plate appearances with a new team, and I just ranked them by OPS. Uh, by OPS, he's 19th in that time. All of the 18 guys ahead of him are capital D dudes. We're talking Barry Bonds with the Giants, Manny Ramirez did it twice, the Dodgers and the Red Sox. You know Lance Berkman. I want to be clear. Frank Schwedell is not the next Manny Ramirez. I need to be incredibly clear about that. But it's hard to do what he's doing, even if he's, of course, overperforming and not have it be a, you know, something there. This is a guy who's never gotten an opportunity. He's not the next Cubs starter for the next eight years. Can he be a guy for the next two or three years while they fill things out? Maybe. Who doesn't like a man named Frank the Tank from New Jersey? I certainly do. The final thing I have on him here, and I saw this on Twitter and I found it really interesting, uh, this is from a, a Phillies blogger called Schmenkman. I'm sorry if I didn't say that right. He said, earlier this year, we anticipated we would see two historical milestones, that the that the athletics would be the first American League franchise with 2,000 players, and that the Cubs would be the first major league team with 100,000 runs scored. Frank Schwindel was both of those guys. <laughs> I'm so happy I got to talk about Frank Schwindel. Matt, who is your Under the Raider guy?
0: Well, as we all know, the Dodgers are filled with a lot of uh, big name superstars, and I was looking at their 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 leaders in terms of uh, OPS plus. I was not surprised to see Max Muncy leading the Dodgers in OPS plus, but I was surprised to see number two on that list is Will Smith, their catcher. Will Smith is a young star emerging as one of the maybe the best at his position in the league, and no one really talks about him. drive, left center field, Will Smith packs it up to Pavilion about six or seven rows. Long guard and a 6-1 lead on his 24th. With that swing and as hard as he hit it, he might have chipped some pain off of it. Over the last three seasons, there are 18 catchers with at least 750 plate appearances. Smith is by far the number one catcher in terms of weighted runs created plus at 142 Ten points ahead of Yasmani Grandal at 132, and no one else is even close to either of them. The next is Wilson Contreras at 113, and also he comes by it honestly. This isn't any sort of fluke. If you look at quality of contact over the last two years, his 377 expected weight on, ba- expected weight on base ranked 17th among all players, not just catchers. We're talking about all players in all baseball. You know, you heard in that in that in that highlight we just played of that home run. You heard the announcer, which I believe is Oral Hirschheiser mentioned him crushing high fastballs. Well, he's slugging 637 against fastballs this year. It was 694 last year and 583 in his uh, short debut uh, in 2019. He's also one of my favorite guys to watch hit. He's got this like really big leg kick as like a timing mechanism. And it's, you don't see a lot of guys hit like that anymore. At least I don't feel like, feel like I do, but he, he, he clearly, it clearly works for him. And I just think he kind of gets, kind of gets lost on a Dodgers team that has all these big names, right? I mean, I mean mentioned Muncie, then there's also Mookie Betts. They acquired Trey, Trey Turner for goodness sakes. They also have Justin Turner. Uh, Who else am I forgetting? Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, who's having a terrible year, but is obviously a big name. Will Smith, he's not... Actually, as young as you might think, because it took you know he he came along sort of methodically through the minor leagues. He was the number thirty two overall pick in two thousand six out of Louisville. Um, Catchers sometimes take a long time to get through the minors. According to Baseball Reference, he has six point six WAR in his career, which is more career WAR than the top seven picks from that draft combined. So uh, Will Smith has been uh, a fantastic player player development story for the Dodgers and a player that I feel like has doesn't really get talked about at all. He's a star. Hugely in with you on Will Smith. Here's my only point of concern. Here, not
1: concerned, but I'm going to refute you just a little bit. I, uh, you know, each year we rank the top ten at every position for MLB Network. Going into this year, Will Smith was my number three catcher in baseball. So I don't feel like he's totally under the radar. Like he's been fantastic. But I agree with you. He's a two first 783 plate appearances. That's how much he's got so far in baseball. 913 OPS. Like it's, it's really good. He might be the number one catcher in baseball right now. I think you could at least make the argument. All right, we're going to take, uh, we're going to move on to our purpose pitch where Matt and I each get to have a rant and a rave. This one for me, it's going to sound like it's targeted towards Yankees fans. It's not. Every fan base does this. This just happens to be, you know, pinned around a, a Yankee moment. The other day they rearranged their infield and they moved Glaber Torres off of shortstop, the second base. That seemed to me uh, like it was, An assertion that he was not going to be their shortstop going forward for the future, which makes a whole lot of sense. He's just never really been a good defensive shortstop. That was fine when he was hitting. Now he's not hitting. So now you have a team with a big hole at shortstop going into next year, and you've got a lot of shortstops on the free agent market. So immediately... It's super fun to imagine. Cool, who's the Yankee shortstop next year? Wouldn't Corey Seager look great going towards the right field porch? How about Trevor Story? Could Yankee fans get over Carlos Correa? Like obviously there's a huge, there's a huge fit here. And I saw so many Yankee fans saying, Well, we don't need any of them. We shouldn't sign any of those free agents. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? You really want Tyler Wade playing shortstop all next year? And they said, No, we don't need any of them. Because our top prospect is Anthony Volpe, who's a shortstop who looks super impressive. And our third prospect is Oswald Peraza, who's a shortstop who looks super impressive. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, Volpe's 20 and he's not even made it to double A yet. Oswald Peraza has just gotten to double A yet. Neither one of those guys is going to be ready next year. They might not be ready the year after that. And even if they are well, then either one of them moves to second or third or your new acquisition moves to second or third or someone gets traded. Like, this is never a thing. I remember this last winter when Mets fans are like, we don't need uh, McCann or Romito. And it's like, why not? Uh, Because we have uh, Alvarez, right? Isn't that who their catcher is (laughs) at low A? And he's going to be great. And it's like, yeah, but he's he's 19. Like, what are you talking about? There's You're never, especially at shortstop, because shortstops tend to move and play wherever. You're never blocking these guys, Ever because the best case scenario is you end up with more talented players than you know what to do with and you move them or trade them and the worst case scenario is you end up with a terrible shortstop for the next three years while you're waiting for a young guy who may or may not ever develop and what are we doing here you cannot block a 20 year old (laughs) like you just can't and again it's not specific to Yankee fans we'd probably name examples for every other fan base but I just found that kind of nuts like this is a team that wants to be competitive next year there are Superstar shortstops available. This is not going to mess up Anthony
0: Volpe's life. I promise you. And also, I mean, if there's any team that shouldn't, any fan base or team that shouldn't be planning like this, it's the Yankees. Because like two years ago, you would have said like, "Oh, Glaber Torres, like this is this right. is our franchise. This is our franchise." <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I mean, it takes a while to really for a player to be so fully established. You have to be like, okay, we're locked in, no question. This is our future. I you know I agree with you. I mean these guys could be great trade chips or maybe make adjustments. I I would be surprised if the Yankees did not sign one of these big shortstops this off season. You know, big, you know, w- you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, I never say never, but I think that that's, that seems a, a very likely very likely scenario. We're going to stay in the AL East for 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 my purpose pitch this week and I'm going to say it about the Blue Jays, but it doesn't – similar to you, this could apply to any team, any hot team or any cold team at any given moment, and that is do not oversell the Blue Jays. I understand they are the hot team at the moment, but you're never as good as you look when you're at your best, and you're never as bad as you look when you are at your worst. It's a long season, and the Blue Jays are – Basically, who we thought they were when the season began, which is a ridiculous lineup with uneven pitching competing for the wild card spot. Like that's what people thought they were going to be when the season began, and that's where they are now. You know, like a month ago, people were like, "Oh, the Yankees, they're unstoppable; they can't be beat." And now they're fighting for a wild card spot. And at the beginning of the season, that's kind of what we thought the Yankees were going to be—a very good team that was going to fight for the wild card spot. So, don't get carried away by a hot streak. I mean, obviously, the Blue Jays have changed some things from the beginning of the season. They've improved their bullpen. Vlad Jr. has turned out to be better than we thought he would be, at least in this season. Robbie Ray has turned out to be better than we thought he would be, at least for these this season. All that said, even if you end up in a wildcard game with Robbie Ray pitching, I don't think anyone's like going in being like, oh, this is Max Scherzer, right? Like, There's still a little bit of doubt about just how dominant or reliable Robbie Ray is. So... Let's not get carried away. Teams get hot. Teams get cold. It's a long season. That's kind of why we have the long season because some things kind of tend to even out. We kind of – figure out where things are after we play 162 games completely agree
1: totally agree with you on this i was joking with uh, some the other day that on like september 24th or whatever and when the jays go you know three and five over an eight game span the toronto sun will be like did the jays peak too soon (laughs) (laughs) because that's what's gonna happen this reminds me too of the uh the fear over how playoff odds work because the jays went from like five percent odds to 70 percent odds over the course of two weeks and i saw a lot of people being like well these odds are useless like that how can that tell me anything? They must be broken. And then thinking to myself, wait a minute, if I'd gone back to August 27th or whatever, when the Jays odds were at five percent and I told you here's what's gonna happen. The Jays are going to win 15 out of their next 17. And at the same time, the Yankees are going to lose 12 out of their next 16. How likely do you think that would have been? Nobody on this planet would have said that there was a more than 5% chance of that happening, which is literally the point. Like that shows you how nuts this has all been. I think I'm a little higher on the Blue Jays just because I do think they are for real. Like obviously they're not this good, but the uh, the offense is unbelievable. And it's not even just Vlad, like Lourdes Gurriel looks like a new man. He is fantastic. And I'm super excited to see the Blue Jays, hopefully, potentially, make the playoffs. So Matt, I tip my hat to you. Good take. Good take on that one. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.